Pull on your wool socks and gather close around the fire. New Belgian Brewing Company toasts to the season with their Belgian-inspired glassware, full of Tubelo winter ale, a tasty winter warmer with a hoppy palate. While the weather outside may be frightful, the beer inside is delightful. New Belgium encourages you to follow your folly to newbelgium.com, where hoppy sing-alongs, giveable glassware, and cheer can be found. With additional support from Kuat Racks and Patagonia. This is The Shorts, and you're listening to The Dirtbag Diaries. Bondi Beach in Sydney. It's a one kilometre stretch of sand on the edge of the biggest city in Australia. It's basically the Australian version of Venice Beach. Lots of people, restaurants, bars and tourists. On any sunny weekend, you can't see the sand for all those sunbaking bodies. I love living here. I can start my day with an early surf, catching waves in the dawn light, and then finish the day with an evening dip. Coming home from work and seeing the ocean and smelling that salty air, my whole body breathes out a huge sigh of relief. The grind of the city and the stress of the day just gets washed away as soon as I dive into the water. We call it the Bondi Bubble, because living here, life just seems easier. Except when it comes to surfing. Basically, it's crowded. Waves are average, it's full of tourists, and it's not uncommon to see a hundred plus surfers scrap around in the water for whatever waves are on offer. Life in Bondi is easier, but maintaining a stoke for that pure surfing experience? Well, that is pretty hard. When you combine average waves with a massive lineup with everyone from aspiring pro surfers to Swedish backpackers on rental boards, it makes for an aggressive and competitive atmosphere. There are multiple drop-ins, swearing, collisions, and even the odd fight. I know it wasn't always like this, but it's been bad enough for long enough to have me wondering every now and again, what are we doing this for? A year or so ago, I read an article profiling surfers and shapers using wood in surfboards. There were solid wood boards, hollow wooden boards, wood veneer boards, These boards were beautiful. The grain of the polished wood gave every board a unique character. They were the antithesis to the rows and rows of white boards that fill every surf shop here. But more than the boards, it was the people that really jumped out at me. Here was a bunch of individuals from all over the world that were bringing the surf experience right back to its core. They were focusing purely on that relationship between themselves, the wave, and the board. They didn't just buy a board and jump on it. They designed the board, sourced the wood, made the board at home, and then went and rode some waves. It just seemed so cool, like it was the most surfingest thing you could possibly do. I've owned heaps of boards over the last 25 years. There's 12 in my house right now, but I'd never shaped a board. None of my mates had ever shaped a board. Hardly anyone shapes their boards. Instead, every six months or so, I walk into a shop, drop 600 sheets, and walk out with a brand new stick. Shaping was something shapers did. But reading this article, buying a new board suddenly seemed so boring, like I was missing out on the really important part, like I was only pretending to be a surfer. So I went and searched for the truth. I went to the internet. If you 
few weeks later I was flying to the other side of the country to attend a five-day wooden board building workshop in Fremantle, Western Australia. It was run by Paul Jensen from the US, one of the pioneers of hollow wooden board building. I took a week off work, slept in my tent and worked my ass off with six other students to build my very own 510 fish. The setting was perfect. A huge old workshed on the wharf of the seaside town of Frio, just around the corner from the Little Creatures Brewery. I quickly settled into a routine. I'd wake up before dawn, already excited, my mind racing with thoughts of everything I still had to do on the board. I'd walk the three k's along the waterfront, past the marinas and the boat builders in the early morning light, grab a coffee on the way and arrive at the workshop half an hour early. We'd slide back the huge, heavy shed doors and smell that sweet mix of sawdust and milled wood. Then we'd be at it. We'd saw, we'd cut, we'd glue, we'd sand, focusing for hours at a time, hardly stopping to eat. But every day we finished tired, muscles aching, covered in sawdust and bits of glue, but also with that satisfaction that only comes at the end of a solid day of honest work. No city, no computer, no traffic, just pieces of wood, hands-on tools and an ice-cold pale ale at the end of the day. When the workshop came to a close, each of us had our own unique hollow wooden board. And each board embodied the personal journey of the builder, those moments of despair when you'd made a huge mistake, followed by relief when that mistake was mended with extra effort and hard work. We stood around admiring each other's boards, all of us impressed with the finer points, but accepting of those little imperfections in each of our work. We still had to glass the boards though to make them watertight. Some of the other students were getting their boards glassed professionally, but not me. No way. Now, the probability was high that with no previous glassing experience, I was going to totally ruin my beautiful board. But no one else had yet laid a hand on this puppy. This board and I had come this far together. We were going all the way. When I finished glassing the board weeks later in Sydney, I had a new appreciation for the amount of manual labour needed to create a board with all that shaping, sanding and glassing. I was also amazed that after 25 years of surfing, I had such a limited knowledge of how the elements of design determined how a board surfs. Too wide and it won't hold its rail on a steep face. Too narrow, it's too slow. Too little rock, it'll be fast and stiff. Then there's fin placement, rail profiles, tail shape, tail width. There were just so many variables that get combined in each shape and the potential combinations are endless. Walking down the beach with my brand new board under my arm though, I was full of excitement. Man, it felt super heavy. Would it float? Would the fins hold after that first turn? Would it turn? Suddenly a surf at my local was a totally gripping adventure. Once the board hit the water though, the buoyancy of the trapped air perfectly offset the weight of the wood. I was quietly proud of myself as I paddled my own board out the back, looking down at the beautiful wooden grain gliding through the water, and then that first wave. I think everyone can remember that first wave they caught, the first one they properly surfed, the one where you glide across the face of a clean wave. I was nine years old, and I'd quickly borrowed my mate's styrofoam twin fin for one last wave before heading home. I can still remember it really clearly to this day, but after years of catching whitewater and going straight towards the beach, I paddled for this one wave, and I can't totally remember what happened at the start, but when I stood up, the board had angled and suddenly the fins grabbed, the rail had set into the face of the wave, and I was flying along. 
I clearly remember that the fins under my feet were humming and the whole board was vibrating while in front of me was an open wall of clean green water and I was going faster than I'd ever been before. I quickly dropped into that classic 70s tube riding crouch and for the first time in my young life I felt that power, that speed, that sense of weightless sliding and I was blown away. People theorise that for all surfers, it's kind of downhill from there. We surf because we're forever trying to relive the amazement of that first wave, coming close, but ultimately never quite reaching that first high. Now I'm not going to claim that that first wave on my wooden board had as big an impact on me, but it had those same elements of amazement and wonder. I found myself unusually excited by and aware of the simple sensation of arcing across the face of what was a pretty ordinary two-foot wave. I wasn't nine years old again, but I also wasn't the grumpy 35-year-old Bondi's lineup had turned me into. Make you believe, I can tell you lots of things that make you believe. I surfed that board exclusively for the next couple of months. To be honest, it didn't surf so well. It was heavy, a bit too loose, lacking drive through the turns, but it was fast and smooth. But each time I rode it, I'd find some extra nuance, some extra sensation. I felt more involved in each wave. The crowds and aggressiveness of Bondi, suddenly, they weren't there anymore. I was in a different world with just me, the wave, and the board I'd made. Since then I've gone on to make more boards, and I'm constantly learning how hard shaping and glassing are. I didn't take any of my own boards on a recent trip to Indo, but when I'm back home, I just seem to pass over the beautiful professionally made thrusters in the rack and pull out one of my own creations. Somehow I find myself reliving a cutback or a floater in two foot slop at my local with more stoke and perfect four foot barrels in Indonesia. My intention to raise the status quo of this rap shit uh -huh. And bring it back to the street origin that brought it to fruition I'm a long distance from where I'm headed But well equipped for the journey though I now find myself stuck in a vicious cycle The more I learn about shaping boards The more I realise how little I know And the more I search for that ultimate surfboard design The more elusive it becomes And the more I try and become a better surfer The more I feel like a nine year old on a styrofoam twin fin and that's just fine with me. My name is Will Rankin, and this is my short. Will Rankin is in the midst of training for a coast-to-coast -coast race across New Zealand this winter working on a quad fin postmodern fish. Er, that's a board for Bondi's sloppy summer waves. Music today by Trek Life Firehorse and our good friend Bradley Carter, who's both a ripping picker and a ripping climber. His new album is called The Real Job. You can check it out at myspace.com backslash Bradley Carter Music. We've got links to all today's music on our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. Our t-shirts are finally back in stock. They're designed by Walker. They're organic and they're ready to ship. So go to our site and check out the sidebar and you'll see the t-shirt icon. Click there. The proceeds from this shirt go right to Walker, who's basically been working for us free. All the art you've ever seen comes from him and he's doing it out of love. This will help feed him. 
He's skinny. He's a starving artist. If you believe in the diaries and want to help out, these t-shirts help sustain this project and you get something cool to wear. The holidays are fast approaching. The snow is falling. New Belgium provides holiday cheer. Check out their website, newbelgium.com, for holiday glassware, lists of events, and other fun stuff from the world of New Belgium. They make the shorts possible. Check them out online at newbelgium.com. Support for the shorts comes from Kuat Racks, who make a better bike rack. You can check out their selection of racks online at kuatracks.com. Additional support for the shorts comes from Patagonia. I'm Fitzcahal. That was Will Rankin. And you've been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. Cause you live and you learn, you spend and you earn, and that's just day to day.